Blog Talk Radio. Defensive end a little bit 
just by having that confidence. Um, but I mean, it, it's it's far down the road. But from what you've seen of Ish, you know, recently, do you feel like he deserves some, you know, attention for most improved player uh, based on you know just what you've seen from him? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's a good point. You know, most improved player a lot of times uh, is really just all of, like you know about opportunity. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that a player's skill really improved. Uh, you know, like a drastic measure from one season to the next. It could just be a matter of you know, like for instance, C.J. McCollum in, in Portland, who's probably the uh, you know the leading candidate for the sixth man of the year right now, or the most improved rather. Excuse me, for the most improved. Um, you know, he had he was good last year. It's just, you know, they had Wesley Matthews, Nick Batum, and a lot of players that were playing ahead of him. Now, you know, with them gone, the opportunity for him to step into the starting role, he really got, you know, gets an opportunity to uh, show his stuff and show what he's capable of. And I think that, uh, you know, that has happened in a similar manner to Ish. Um, you know, now that he has a role where he feels comfortable, he knows he's, the, uh, you know, the starter, unquestionable. He's not, uh, you know, looking over his shoulder, uh, for someone coming up behind him, or at least for the rest of the season, I think that's uh, you know that's made him quite comfortable, and uh, you know his game has benefited because of that. He's definitely uh, you know he's scoring more at a higher rate than he ever has in his career. Uh, same with with the assist numbers. So uh, you know I think that the opportunity that the Sixers have provided him and the confidence that they have in him, um, you know, has has really benefited his game. And yeah, I, I absolutely do think. Uh, he could be in the conversation for most improved player. There's a you know a couple other guys uh, out there that are having stellar seasons as well. And uh, you know the fact that he spent you know the first quarter of the of the season buried on the bench in New Orleans probably doesn't necessarily help his case. But uh, you know if he continues playing at the level he has in the 13 games since he's been to Philly, um, you know it helps the team continue to grow and improve and develop as they have since he's arrived. And uh, he absolutely I think deserves some consideration for that. Yeah, and, I mean, as you pointed out on Twitter, you know, the Sixers just barely missed out on a four-game win streak here, you know, with their overtime losses to the Bulls and the Knicks. But, you know, they, they've they had very strong play of late. And, you know, other than the play of Ish, what can you kind of contribute the recent improved play to? Uh, I mean, obviously, I definitely think it's, it starts with Ish. Um, uh, you know, it's on both ends of the floor. I think, you know, his play, this, uh, his athleticism and energy. Um, you know, you, he getting uh, his ability to get other guys involved on the offensive end. Uh, you know, obviously, like a guy like Nerlens, uh, that you know that energizes the team all around. It gives them confidence all around, and I think, uh, you know, that gets reflected first defensively because uh, you know, like for instance, Nerlens, his play I think has been a big. Uh, you know, a big part of the Sixers' recent, uh, you know, mini string of success here. And with, for him, it's it's so easy to see now, especially comparing and contrasting the pre-ish uh, Netherlands of this season and since he's been back. He, you know, his game is definitely sparked by his defensive play. And when he has confidence, uh, you know, he, he just likes to get up and down the floor in the open court. He's not a guy on the offensive end that really thrives in, the, in a half-court offense or a uh, you know, you can't really like force him the ball in the post and try to get him to make a, you know, make a move with it, which was, uh, you know, something that was happening a whole lot toward the beginning of the year, and it was, you know, it was just uncomfortable to watch. He he looked, you know, unnatural and not quite sure what to do in those situations. But uh, 
you know, when they reacquired Ish and kind of were able to open the tempo up again and just let him get up and down the court and, uh, you know, make runs for the basket, I think that just really opened up the floor for him and then the whole team as a result. I think, uh, you know, it's just a matter of confidence and, uh, you know, just all the guys feel, I think when they go out there now, they think they feel they actually have a chance to win the game. Uh, I think that's been reflected in pretty much all the games recently, that, that overtime loss to the Bulls, the double overtime loss to the Knicks, uh, you know, obviously the wins, a couple other games too. Uh, you know, earlier in the season, it seemed like they would be down by, you know, 15 by the end of the first quarter. And there was this almost, you know, they just the look on the team that like they didn't have, you know, the ability to come back and that they were basically out of the game already. Uh, I think now uh, over the past couple of weeks or to a month almost since uh, issues been back that, the attitude's kind of been changed now where a lot of the guys feel like they have a chance, uh, you know, going into every game. And I think that's uh, that has a big part of it too, you know, just the confidence in, in your team and yourself. Um, but, you know, it's uh, a bunch of factors, I would say, definitely. What uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that that first win over the Suns, Ish's first game back uh, with the Sixers, I think immediately following that, you know, Brett Brown was saying, I feel like we're a different team. You know, I, I feel like we're one to know this is an entirely new season the rest of the way. I wanted to believe him then, but, you know, I I didn't fully believe him. I thought that, you know, it, it was a great game and the way they closed it out was, was awesome. But, you know, flash over a, a month since then, and it's just crazy that it's pretty much a reality. I mean, when Brett Brown talks about the team now, he he talks about how they fight like they fought last year, and they were kind of missing that all year until Ish came back. So obviously he has been the MVP uh, for this team over, you know, the past month now. But it's also hard not to give a lot of credit to Okafor and especially what he's been doing recently. I mean, looking just at his last five games here, you know, 19.6 points on nearly 60% shooting as well as 6.6 rebounds. Um, I think you're seeing a much more comfortable, comfortable Jalil out there and uh, one that's really confident in his point guard and you could clearly see he wasn't to, to start the year. And, uh, you know, you look at the win against Portland, 12 of 16 from the floor for 25 points and 10 rebounds, I would say that was easily his best game of the year in a Sixers uniform. But, uh, yeah, I mean, watching that Portland game, what did you see different out of uh, Jalil that, you know, you didn't see to start the the season? Yeah, I, I agree with you. That was probably uh, his, his best performance of the year. And you just see, uh, <laughs> excuse me, like a continual development of really all aspects of his game. Uh, I mean, offensively, there's at least once once or twice a night where, you know, you're watching and you kind of just, like, shake your head to yourself and, like, think to yourself that this kid's only, like, 19. Uh, you know, he's just so polished on the offensive end that it, you know, it, it really is kind of a little bit exciting to think to the future of, you know, if he continues to develop other aspects of his game. Uh, you know, his, his mid-range shot has been fantastic. That was on, uh, you know, on full display on that Portland game he hit. You know, in that first quarter, when he he started off really hot, he hit uh, like two or three or four mid-range shots uh, right in that first quarter with guys, you know, like basically right in his face. A lot of them required a little bit of, uh, you know, dribbling to set up. So, uh, you know, I think offensively he's, you know, much much further along than just kind of, uh, 
a back to the basket post player that could finish around the rim, which, uh, you know, I kind of think was the perception around him when he first came in the league. He's a, you know, he's a guy that can really do a whole lot on the offensive end inside of the, the three point arc. And I think, uh, you know, it's very feasible that he could push his shot out past the three point line based off, uh, you know, the improvement that we've already seen on his touch from like 15 to 17 feet. Um, and he's, you know, he's also worked on the areas that were, you know, obvious weaknesses. I think he's gotten better at, uh, you know, just defense in general, like defensive intensity, uh, the rotations, just kind of knowing where to be at times. And, uh, you know, I think that that definitely helps his game and rebounding too. Uh, he's definitely made it a, a, a more like a conscious effort to, uh, you know, hit the glass, which I also think has benefited. So, uh, you know, I still have concerns about his just fit going forward. Like, you know, how exactly the team's gonna build around him and just the way his game is built. But uh, you know, as far as how he's played recently, I see a lot of improvement. I think it's pretty encouraging. For sure. Once again, this is the Seventy Sixers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Cassie Blumain. And um I I mean this doesn't really have much to do with anything now. It's more just blowing smoke, I feel like. But a report by Zach Berman of the New York Post stated, and I quote, sources have indicated Philly ownership was gung-ho to take one of the big three, uh, either Carl Anthony Towns, Jilla Lokafor, D'Angelo Russell. But because um, taking another European project may not have sat well, uh, with the fan base, you know, they decided to to opt out of taking Kristaps Porzingis. Um, Mike, what do you think of this statement by Berman, and what does that say about Hinky's changing role as a general manager, if true, uh, to be kind of pushed around to not draft, you know, the top guy that he might want? Well, first of all, I do think that Philly fans would would have been kind of upset at the time with uh, the, the selection of Porzingis. I can say first firsthand from uh, you know just interacting with a lot of Sixers fans. Yeah, I, I do think there would have been some backlash for that decision. You know, hindsight's obviously twenty twenty. Now, halfway through the, the season, you can see how you know how quickly he's already became uh, you know a solid player for the Knicks and. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, we should have taken him. But at the time, I, I think a lot of people would have been upset with the decision. Uh, with that being said, though, you know, fan perception is certainly not, not a way that the a front office should run a franchise. It's uh, obviously not what they've been doing for the past couple seasons, um, you know, under Sam Hickey. So, you know, obviously you you also have to take, you know, any such report with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, I, I know Zach Berman, some of his work, but, you know, you don't necessarily know where, this information is coming from, you know, it's not like Sam Hickey came flat out and said it, but, uh, you know, if that is the case and it's, it's a little alarming that after, you know, it's only two seasons, then it, it would have seemed that ownership kind of, you know, uh, backpedaled a little bit, you know, if they, it was only two seasons that Sam was really allowed to make the moves that he thought were good. And then, uh, you know, if they, they kind of intervened and pushed him toward one of the, the quote unquote big three, rather than taking a, you know, what looked like a chance on Porzingis, then, uh, you know, that definitely, it, I think it says more so about the ownership than uh, Sam Hickey. Yeah, you know, I think Sam has basically tried to stay, you know, like it or not, he's he stayed, you know, on course with his plan. He hasn't really varied from it uh, since he was, you know, originally put in place. He kind of, you know, outlined what he was going to do, and he's followed that uh, straight through. 
But, you know, I think that if that report is true, that obviously combined with the addition of Colangelo, uh, you know, and some of the moves that the team has made recently, I think would obviously, uh, you know, lead one to question exactly what Hinkie's uh, status is within the front office. And I think, you know, this this summer coming up with uh, the cap space and the free agency period and, uh, you know, the draft itself, I think that'll go a long way toward answering questions like that, depending on, you know, what kind of move the team makes and what direction they sort of head in with, uh, you know, free agency and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it'll definitely be something interesting to pay pay attention to going forward. Uh, you know, as for that individual report, I read it, it didn't, you know, I, I didn't put too much stock into it either way. You hear a whole lot of things from, you know, agents and players and teams around the NBA draft. I think you and I both know that pretty well from covering it for a few years. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of different reports that come out from a lot of different sources, especially right around the draft. So, you know, it, it's it's different. It's different. Uh, difficult to tell exactly, you know, the merit of it. But it, it is interesting what it could potentially say about the dynamic between Sam Hickey and the front office and or the ownership. And I think, uh, you know, that's something that we'll definitely have to pay attention to moving forward this, uh, you know, the rest of this year. Yeah, I mean, I've read so many reports. I feel like almost everything you read now is a report and it doesn't come directly from a source. So you can, uh, really, you know, uh, uh, you can't really believe it too much. I mean, you can talk about it like we're doing. I think it's interesting, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think Chris Porzingis is a great player. Uh, obviously I, I wrote about him a lot, uh, leading up to the draft. I thought that, he might fit the Sixers team better just because of his inside and out, outside game, as well as defense. Um, he, you know, is more built like Joel, uh, sorry, Joel Embiid um, in terms of, you know, a center that can really stretch the floor uh, where, you know, Okafor is just mainly on the blocks. He has, you know, somewhat of a mid-range game, but nothing, you know, close to, I guess what keeping Joel Embiid to have when when he finally suits up for the team, uh, but yeah, I mean these guys will always be linked to the draft, uh, Przingis and uh, Okafor, as well as Carl Anthony Towns. I mean those three guys, they're you know the the future big men of the league, and you know to be picked within you know two or three picks from each other. I mean, I mean, they're always going to be judged next to each other throughout their career. Uh, in Philadelphia, unfortunately, that means that Okafor is going to be under a microscope even more just because, you know, people know how, you know, that the league has reacted as a whole to Przingis. Um, I mean, I, I think he's fourth right now in Jersey sales, which is ridiculous, but, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think they all have great futures in the league, and uh, I, I think the dynamic between, you know, Sam Hinkie and Josh Harris will play itself out because, I mean, with Colangelo in now, there, there's really, you know, if they're having any kind of disagreement where, you know, either Hinkie wants to leave or, or Harris wants to fire him, you know, we'll find out very shortly if that's the case. But, um yeah, I, I thought it was intriguing, nothing more than that. And, uh, yeah, um, but, I mean, there's been a lot of good things to talk about regarding the Sixers play recently. Um, 
you know, we're past the halfway point of the season here. What are you most disappointed about? Uh, I know Carrie asked this question on Philadelphia the other day, and uh, I read what you had to say there, but I'm just curious about kind of your deeper thoughts on the issue. You know, what, what's been the most disappointing and nagging thing for you uh, throughout the season? Yeah, well, things have, you know, certainly looked uh, better for the team recently. I think, uh, you know, if, if things had gone, you know, as they had over the first month all the way up to this point, I think the list of disappointing things would be basically endless uh, for Sixers fans. Luckily, Ish, uh, you know, Ish has kind of come in and saved, uh, you know, saved a lot of the fans and the franchise itself from uh, potentially, uh, you know, what could have been a, a really bad season. But now I, I think you're starting to see uh, – you know, a lot, a little more promising play from some of the guys. But uh, you know, with that being said, I think there is definitely still, a, you know, a, a little, a few areas of disappointment. I, I think you and I both uh, were expecting a little bit more out of Nick Stauskas. Uh, you know, in fairness, he's played a little bit better recently. Um, you know, over the past few, I think he's started to feel a little bit more comfortable in there. But you know, overall, I think is, uh, you know, we were looking at a guy that was, you know, a year removed from being you know, the eighth overall pick in the draft. And we thought kind of just uh, needed a change of scenery and the Philly would really kind of boost, uh, you know, just give him the opportunity for his game to blossom. And I think he kind of, you know, he showed flashes of what he was able to do, but he was really plagued by, uh, you know, inconsistency. He was benched by, uh, you know, Brett Brown for not playing defense for, uh, you know, a a stretch there. And I think, uh, you know, his his confidence certainly wavered, which was an issue that he dealt with in Sacramento last year. There was a, you know, pretty well documented by the media, which, uh, you know, is obviously something he'll have to, um, you know, work on going forward, especially as a shooter in the NBA, you know, confidence can't, can't be something that, uh, you know, is fragile and really that, you know, can waver based off, uh, you know, a couple of games or a couple of shots. But, uh, you know, I think on the, that Philadelphia piece, uh, I referenced the, you know, the inability of uh, Nerlens and Jalil to coexist together on the floor um, you know, I think Brett still he's experimenting and trying to find ways for those two to work together. So, um, you know, I'm not going to totally rule out the fact that something will happen. But, um, you know, heading into the season, I think a lot of us were hoping that they could really kind of complement each other well. Um, you know, it was easy to say, you know, Nerlens is a great defensive player. Jalil is a great offensive player. You know, it'll it'll work out. But, uh you know, spacing obviously was was really an issue between those two on the offensive end. As, you know, neither of them are a natural power forward. They're both natural centers, and you know, putting putting one at the other position. Obviously, we've seen uh, Nerlens got some time there. You know, earlier in the season, and it just you know, it didn't work out. He he's he has trouble. Uh, you know, really doing anything from that from that spot. And then you see the production that he gives you from the center spot, and it, you know, it's just a little bit you know concerning to wonder how are these two really going to fit together going forward and then especially once you consider uh you know Joel Embiid coming back to the lineup you know hopefully we hope uh, this summer at some point and being ready for next season um you know that's that's really three three guys that are all naturally you know built for one particular position and uh you know guys with specific skill sets that don't necessarily uh you know can't necessarily transfer to other spots on the floor so uh you know, that's not necessarily a terrible issue to have, you know, too many talented centers. Uh, you know, there's obviously options for that, things you can do to, uh, you know, fill out the rest of your team. But as it stands right now, I think uh, 
it would have been a little bit easier for and uh, you know made made times and set the situation look a little bit better if Netherlands and Ja had been able to you know just vibe and mesh right on the floor immediately. Um, you know, like I said, there's still obviously half the season, and I think Brett, uh, you know, he's been altering the lineups like crazy throughout the season. But I think he's still, uh, you know, it's one of his bigger goals for the season still is trying to find a way for, you know, two of these, those two guys to work together. So, you know, it's still going to hold out hope that he, that, you know, things can improve. But uh, overall, I would say, you know, that the, uh, you know, the difficulty that those two have playing together and coexisting on the floor has been, uh, you know, a pretty big concern to me. Um, What about you? Yeah, you know, to start the year, um, Brett Brown did kind of the same thing with Okafor, where it seemed like, you know, Okafor would be in rhythm, and uh, he'd, he'd pull him, him, you know, from the third quarter till, you know, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it, it seems like it's almost the opposite now, where, you know, he's pulling him with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter and sitting him the rest of the game. Uh, he he did that against the Knicks, and I know that you, you know, had some stuff to say about that. I mean, what did you think of just his decision in that moment when the Sixers were in need of, you know, that, that offensive presence for Jalil Okafor not to be out there? Yeah, I mean, overall, I understood Brett's, uh, you know, his thinking there. They were, you know, he he went with the team that had brought them back into the game. I really didn't have any issue with Jalil, like, sitting in the second half until once the, the two overtimes started in that next game, it, you know, the offense was just clearly struggling. The dudes out there were tired. They settled, uh, you know, multiple possessions in a row, ended up with Ish having to try to get in the lane and force up a difficult jump shot. And they couldn't he, they couldn't really get that pick and roll going with uh, him and Noel that had been working. And at that point, uh, you know, I just, I didn't, I did not understand Brett's thinking of not, you know, putting Jalil back in the lineup, especially considering how easily he had been able to have his way on the offensive end in the first half. Um, you know, he had scored basically at will on both Lopez and Porzingis. And, you know, Porzingis was even out of the game at that point. There really wasn't anyone uh, in there for the Knicks that would have been able to match up with Okafor. And, you know, I thought at that point, A, you know, it looked like both, you know, Nerlens and Jeremy Grant were tired, and B, uh, you know, I just didn't understand of why, why not maybe switch things up when the offense was clearly struggling. Um, why not give them a different look, especially with a guy that had been, you know, extremely hot and uh, difficult to guard during the first half. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the same thing watching. I, I thought that it was uh, – I don't know, a little mind-boggling move by Brett. I think that's one of the things I've kind of always questioned with Brett as coach is his rotations at times. I don't really know uh, what he sees in, in certain situations, um, but it, it does seem like he hasn't really had a set rotation that he sticks with throughout the season. Um, he is getting better with that, and, and obviously the improved play kind of you know bounces off that but uh, I still think he needs to do a better job, especially with the, you know, Noel Okafor situation and, and really find a way to, to optimize both of their talents and, um, you know, let them coexist on the court. Um, but, yeah, I mean, going back to the biggest disappointment, um, like you said, Nick Stauskas. I mean, I, I can't get past how, you know, excited I was getting him from the Kings for virtually nothing. 
besides, you know, um, some, some salary, basically. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's just been a complete disappointment to me this year. He's maybe had, you know, three to eight games where, you know, I, I thought that he actually performed well and, you know, well for him it's maybe, you know, ten points and, and five rebounds or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just – I don't see giving him minutes over a guy like Hollis Thompson. I mean, you look at their stats across, and there should be no reason why, you know, he should be getting the amount of minutes that he does get. Uh, you know, you look at their field goal percentage, Hollis Thompson 40% to Nick Southfield 35%. You look at their three-point percentage, Hollis Thompson 38% to Nick Southfield's 32%. Uh, points per game, Hollis Thompson, 8.6. Nick Stouts at 7.2. Uh, rebounds, Hollis Thompson, 3.4. To Nick Stouts, 2.4. I mean, you look across the board, and there's a trend of, you know, Hollis Thompson doing more in the minutes he gets than Nick Stouts. Nick so, you know, at this point in the season, uh, why do you continue to give uh, Nick Stauskas Scott, that much minutes? Uh, but what is your, you know, thought on that issue? Uh, you know, I really think the answer to that question is simply just to try to get him going, uh, you know, to see if he can be a guy moving, uh, to, to, you know, that can be useful for the team moving forward. Um, you know, at this point this season, you know, the team's looking better and, you know, some wins are starting to come, but, I think a lot of the Brett's lineup decisions that we question and the, you know, the constant changing starting lineups is still, uh, you know, kind of a way for him to evaluate talent and see which guys, you know, perform in what situations and which guys might be useful, you know, like going forward. Um, and like you said, Nick Stauskas obviously was the kid that came over, you know, pretty highly hyped just be a year removed from being a lottery pick, you know, a kid that had a great college career um, and, you know, that, especially a shooter is, you know, extremely valuable in the NBA today, a guy that can space the floor. And, uh, you know, even more so when you have post players that, uh, you know, demand attention and double teams and you have shooters around them that keep the defenders honest, that's, uh, you know, it becomes infinitely valuable. So I think the, the addition of Stauskas certainly made sense at the time. And it was something that, I, you know, obviously the fan base was excited about. And I think Brett's continued, uh, you know, continued, continuing to give him opportunities is really just trying to, you know, get him kind of going into some sort of a rhythm and, you know, make, you know, decisions based off that going forward of whether or not he can be a valuable player. Uh, You know, it's definitely strange. You you thought that, especially going into the season, he's a guy that maybe could be the starting shooting guard, you know, throughout throughout the year. But as you said, he really hasn't performed, uh, you know, up to expectations or even as well as some of the other guys on the team. Um, you know, he hasn't played in the past couple of games. He didn't play in the uh, the Orlando game, the New York game, or the Portland game. Um, and, you know, before the games before that, his, you know, his playing time was sporadic, around, you know, 20 minutes per game, 25 minutes per game, something like that. Uh, you know, I think definitely that's, you know, minutes that probably could have been used more productively elsewhere. Um, if the team was just strictly trying to win games, uh, you know, if the goal is to still try to uh, get – you know, get these guys experience and, um, you know, confidence and development. I, I understand Stauskas 
you know, continuing to play, especially at the expense of a guy like Hollis, who's kind of, you know, already been around, uh, you know, for a few years. I think we know what, what, what we get out of Hollis times, but, um, you know, I think that's really the, the logic behind it, but, you know, like you alluded to, it's definitely a, a head scratcher at some, at some points, especially when, uh, you know, when the shot's not falling either, he, uh, you know, Nick has his issues on the defensive end. But when the, you know, offensively, when he's not really contributing either, then, uh, you know, you really have to wonder exactly what, uh, you know, what, what he's doing out on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's more of an option than Jordan McRae would have been. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, – I think that, you know, that sometimes they do still have that evaluation process where, um, you know, they're they're not completely sold that this player, you know, is worthless in the long run, so they really want to test them out in as many situations as they can before they make that decision. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the process, as they say, is, you know, evaluating the talent to the best of your ability and making the tough decision when, when it comes to it. And, um, you know, I, I think that a decision will be made for Nick, um, whether or not that's, you know, at the trade deadline or, you know, he gets cut towards the end of the year for, you know, a guy at Delaware right now, like Sean Kilpatrick, uh, you know, I could see something like that happening, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's it's just a shame that all the hype surrounding him um, was almost too much for him to overcome, at least it seems like up to this point. And, I, I mean, I, I think Brett Brown even is kind of done with the idea that he's going to be, you know, that productive player in the two spot. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, with that. Um, you know, the Sixers have... Yeah, some tough slated games coming up. None of them are, are easy games. I mean, I guess no game for the Sixers this season is an easy one. But um, there's the Celtics, which probably will be canceled due to this crazy blizzard that's hitting the uh, you know mid-Atlantic area here. Um, then we got the Suns, who, you know, we obviously know what happened there with Ishmith's first game, getting that win. So that's after that. And then the Pistons after that. Um, I only see really the Suns game as being a potential win. I mean, that Celtics game will most definitely be moved, so I'm not even going to talk about that. But uh, what do you think about, you know, the upcoming slate that they have here? Yeah, I mean, I definitely I think, you know, Phoenix is a winnable game. Uh, you know, they obviously got to win once, and Phoenix is having their fair share of issues uh, over there as well. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting them to beat Golden State next Saturday. Um, and then, you know, there's, the way they've been playing, you know, honestly, there's they've looked, they've been able to compete in most games, so it's, it's you know, I don't like to write them off out of, out of too many games ahead of time. You know, there's obviously a, cu- a couple coming up. Uh, two Saturdays, they're playing Brooklyn Nets. Uh, obviously, that's a winnable game. But then, yeah, other than that, they definitely have, uh, you know, Golden State, the Clippers, uh, the Hawks, the Pistons, the Kings, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of teams competing for playoff positioning there. But, uh, you know, it'll definitely be a, an interesting stretch for the Sixers now to see you know, if they can kind of continue the trend of playing, uh, you know, that's been going on, playing better basketball as of late, or, uh, you know, see if there's any sort of regression or kind of flatlining, uh, you know, once now that Ish has been around for, 
you know, about a month, they they should be in sort of a rhythm. But, uh, you know, it's kind of difficult to judge, as, you know, as we both alluded to, how Brett keeps changing around the lineups. Um, you know, I think it's also worth noting that uh, this is probably the last season that he'll really be able to do that, uh, to kind of have that the roster or the, you know, the talent, talent evaluation option of, uh, you know, playing some of these guys to see their future value rather than for the current, you know, in-game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, situation, uh, you know, next year, the, the team will obviously, I think will be expected to compete at a higher level than it has been over the past three years. I think, uh, you know, next year will probably be the first year that's, you know, of the, you know, of the rebuild where the team's actually looking to win games and get better and improve on, uh, you know, what, what they've been doing with, you know, especially with the talent that should be coming in this summer between the, uh, you know, the guys that will, the draft picks coming in and uh, Dario and Joel come in and join the team um, and any p- potential additions in free agency that, you know, the team makes at, uh, you know, with Colangelo at the helm. You know, there's a lot of a lot of potential changes and, you know, an infusion of talent that could be coming this summer as well. And, uh, you know, I think next year that, you know, people will really expect to see the team, you know, certainly not competing for a title, but definitely not necessarily dwelling at the bottom of the East again. So, uh, you know, I think this is really probably the last chance for some of these guys on the roster now to, you know, really make an impression. I don't think Brett will be able to play a guy, you know, like Nick Stiles gives 25 minutes next year to see if, you know, he can kind of get him out of a slump and get his confidence up. And if he'll be a guy moving forward, um, you know, I think this is really the last shot for some of these guys to make an impression. And I think that, uh, you know, that definitely has some something to do with, you know, the, the different starting lineups we're seeing. It seems like almost every night, basically, there's a different, a different <laughs> starting five out there for the Sixers. I don't have the stats in front of me, but they, I have to believe that they lead the league and, uh, you know, different, different starting fives for the season. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely think that has something to do with it. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, looking at these upcoming games, uh, like you said, the, the Suns are going through a lot of turmoil as well as an organization. Um, I think it was actually Liberty Ballers made an interesting uh, a trade proposal uh, surrounding Devin Booker uh, coming to the Sixers and uh, Nerland's Noel being shipped out to the Suns. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what that would take, but, you know, Devin Booker is, is a good player. You know, we, we saw that played against them. Just, you know, he was kind of the, the only player that, uh, you know, was, was kind of steady throughout that game for the Suns. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the Sixers definitely have a good chance to, uh, you know, pull something off in that one. The game against the Pistons, I mean, I wish they could sign back K.J. McDaniels just for one game, throw him in there, and uh, just foul on Drake Drummond. I'm glad that the Rockets found their first role for him, which is to yeah. come in and foul Andre Drummond uh, five times in nine seconds. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was just hilarious. I don't know if you got to see how Drummond kind of reacted towards the end of that, but I think he just like put his arms up and uh, you know knew what was coming by the end. But uh, yeah, I, I, I want to know. I, I want to know what KJ's mom thought. I want to know what KJ's mom thought about that. <laughs> She's exactly. Uh, I was, yeah, I was trying to find her on Twitter, but she like has mysteriously disappeared now. 
<laughs> yeah, she's she's off the face of the earth after uh the parade on the Sixers, but uh yeah, I, I think that uh you know, the Pistons are a very good team. I, I think Drummond's just a monster to handle and Caldwell Pope has has been playing really good for them as well. Uh yeah, I I don't see them winning that one. Like I said, the the Celtics game is going to be canceled. I mean, if if they have that game uh, Saturday night in the blizzard, that would they might get like ten fans. <laughs> like I can't even imagine what the turnout would be if they actually went through with that game. But uh, yeah, I mean, other than that. There's not too much else to report, uh, so I think I'll end the show on this. Uh, you know, according to the Sixers, uh, Nerlens Noel had to, uh, you know, leave the game uh, against the Magic with kind of blurred vision and, and headaches. Um, he experienced this, you know, before tip-off against the Bulls. Uh, it seems like it's kind of been a, a reoccurring thing for Nerlens. Is this, you know, worrisome at all to you? Uh, just uh, that he can't seem to fully be healthy this year, and when he is, things like this come up. You know, it, it's not overly concerning to me, mainly because uh, you know none of the injuries are directly related to that original injury that you know held him out for all of his rookie year. You know, I had a, a lot of concern about his health going for, uh, you know, coming into his career before last season started. Especially, you know, just looking at his frame, uh, he's, you know, he's definitely gotten stronger since his rookie year. But, uh, you know, super long, uh, pretty thin and like lanky. Just looks like, you know, someone that could be broken uh, um, pretty easily with, uh, you know, too much contact. So, you know, I, I think there's always going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, injury concern with him. At least in my mind, you know, anytime. Uh, guys forced to miss the uh you know his entire rookie season to overcome an injury i think it's always going to be in the back of your mind but uh you know hopefully it's as long as it's nothing you know like serious injuries um you know something like blake griffin who also missed you know his first his rookie year due to an injury issue you don't really associate him uh, although you know he's missed like 12 games now but you don't really associate him with a guy that has a lot of injury issues, and I'm hoping that Nerlens can be the same way. Uh, you know, 82 games is a long time. You know, you see players now in today's NBA just missing games for, you know, basically just rest. I mean, sometimes they just come right out and say rest, or otherwise it'll be, uh, you know, a sore joint or elbow or something. So, you know, him getting minor, like, scrapes and bruises here and there really doesn't bother me as long as it's not, uh, you know, a long-term issue with, like, a joint or something that could affect the big guy. Uh, going forward, I think, you know, Sixers have enough injury issues to worry about with uh, Joel. We don't need to have another uh, another guy like that to worry about. So hopefully Noel can stay, uh, you know, overall pretty healthy like he has been throughout um, throughout his career since he started last year. I think last year he actually played the most games uh, for the team out of any player, which is, you know, pretty, pretty surprising considering, uh, you know, you really didn't know what to expect coming out of him. Um, you know, after that first season. But, you know, I think overall he's been pretty pretty durable, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not too concerned. Yeah, I mean, whenever you have kind of the blurred vision, headache-type stuff, you think of concussion-like symptoms uh, first off. And that's always scary when a, a player deals with that sort of thing. But like you said, it's not his, you know, knee that, that caused him all the problems when, you know, he was entering the league. So, 
you know, I, he'll get over it, and it's part of the game. You know, a long season and everything like that. These things are going to come up, but um, you know, hopefully he can get back out there and, and he's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's it for today's show. Uh, I mean, I I hope that Joel Embiid uh, will enjoy possibly you know the the biggest snowstorm that he's ever had to uh, uh, kind of live through. So that that should be you know interesting. How are you going to, uh, you know, cover yourself from, from this big snowstorm coming? <laughs> well, uh, you know, just hope it, it's not quite as crazy as people are predict, uh, predicting it to be. But, uh, you know, I think I'll just uh, make sure I have someone to put my car and a bunch of water in my house, and uh, I think I'll be ready. There's a bunch of NBA games on this weekend, so I think I'll be good. I was uh, planning on heading down to that Sixers Celtics game that we've been talking about, but like you said, it uh, – seems very doubtful that that will happen. So uh, I'll have to keep a lookout for, uh, you know, when that will be rescheduled for. Yeah, me and, me and my friends made the uh, the wrong decision to schedule a ski trip this weekend. So um, <laughs> that should be interesting whether or not we have 